Hi, this is Richard Reilly. You may recognize me from Star Trek Next Generation as Bataille, Star Trek Voyager as Seamus, and Star Trek Enterprise as Dr. Jeremy Lucas. And you are listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. One of the joys I get from doing the show is being able to chat with character actors whose faces I always know and recognize, but whose names I may not actually be aware of until recently. Not everybody can be the star of the show, and those main eventers need talent around them to play off of and oftentimes elevate them. Rarely do these performers get the accolades they've earned for decades of work, so one of the goals of this podcast has been to put a name to the face and help my audience appreciate all of their efforts. After all, I can't be the only person to become excited when I see one of those people show up on screen, and then immediately bothered that I don't know their names. What makes it even better is when one of those actors also happens to be part of the Star Trek franchise, and today's guest has plenty of that on their resume too, because we are speaking with Richard Reilly. Richard is a highly prolific character actor who has appeared in over 400 shows and films, not counting his numerous theatrical roles as well. So this is the official record now for guests on Trek Untold. He's appeared in three different Star Trek franchises in a total of five episodes. His first appearance was in Star Trek The Next Generation as Bataille from the beloved episode The Inner Light. He followed that up a few years later on Star Trek Voyager as Seamus, a member of the community from a fictitious holographic Irish town in the six season episodes Fairhaven and Spirit Folk. His final appearances in the franchise took place in Star Trek Enterprise, in two Season 4 episodes, Cold Station 12 and The Augments, where he played Dr. Jeremy Lucas, where he spends the majority of that episode being tortured by Brent Spiner. I think for some Trekkies that might be a dream come true, but for most of us out there, uh, maybe something better just watched on television and not partaking in. Beyond Star Trek, you would recognize Richard for his roles in shows and films like Falcon Crest, Quantum Leap, The Ferris Bueller TV Show, Fried Green Tomatoes, Glory, Murder, She Wrote, Free Willy, The Fugitive, Office Space, Casino, Ally McBeal, The Practice, Lethal Weapon 4, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Diagnosis Murder, Grounded for Life, The Hebrew Hammer, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Poor Paul, Avatar the Legend of Korra, Blackish, Axe Cop, and a whole lot more. I could spend literally two hours probably just listing all of his things and still not get through every single role he had. And best of all, plenty of those roles were shared on the screen with Star Trek alumni, so we'll hear some stories about all those fine folks today, too. There's a lot to discuss in this episode, and we cover a lot of ground in this very in-depth interview, so get ready to learn just a little bit about the amazing life and the extraordinary career of Richard Reilly. But before we jump into our interview, I want to ask you, are you following Trek Untold on social media? It's the best way to keep up to date on who's going to be the next guest on Trek Untold and to learn all about the other cool things that are happening here. So if you're on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, go ahead and look up Trek Untold, all one word, and give us a follow and a like. If you'd like to help support the show monetarily, go ahead and check out teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold to check out some of the merchandise we have available. This includes t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, sweatshirts, stickers, and a whole bunch more. So go ahead and check out teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. If you become a paid subscriber to Trek Untold, 
You'll get first access to the show and a chance to ask our guests questions on future episodes. But most of all, please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it or watching it. And if you've already done that, please also leave a review and a rating if you can. Leaving ratings and reviews helps increase the visibility of podcasts on platforms like iTunes and other places like it. It shows that you're listening and that you like it, and that other people who are interested in the same subject are going to probably like it too. It helps us grow, it helps us get better guests, and it helps us keep bringing this amazing Trek Untold show to you. If you're already following us or have supported us in any other way, thank you, of course, for being a part of the Trek Untold family. There's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, and we're very grateful that you chose us to listen to. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D printed Star Trek inspired toys and replicas for fans of all ages and toys of all sizes. But you'll hear more about them a little later on in the show. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the line, we're joined by a character actor who truly is the definition of character actor. He has been in over 400 different things. I don't even think I could count that high. That's a record for the show, in fact. Uh, we're joined today by Mr. Richard Reilly. Richard, how are you? I'm great, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, one of the things we like to do on this show is we like to spotlight the character actors, and I can't think of anybody better than that because, again, just looking at the resume, that's that's insane. I mean, I, I have a question I like to ask folks when we first start these interviews, but i got to ask you first. I mean, how the heck does someone get into 400 things? Uh, you say yes a lot. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I've been really fortunate. It wasn't anything I really expected, and uh, I spent, um, oh, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 years doing theater all around the country and then in New York for a while and uh, uh, came out here uh, in 1989, I think, out, out to L.A. And I uh, uh, got uh, a, a couple of films in a, in, and got a, a series, the Fer- Ferris Bueller series, and uh, and then just uh, things just uh, did a number of auditions and people became uh, acquainted with, with, with me and my work and uh and eventually, uh, I got to do all of these these wonderful projects. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Uh, there's there's been so so few that I, I've said no to because they all have something that that uh, is interesting uh, in them and, and something that 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 drew me to the project. Yeah, that says a lot about the power of saying yes. And we've heard that a lot from other guests in the show, not just for roles they've been in, but for advisors or folks who would give them a lot of great wisdom and insight. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the power of saying yes is quite a tool. I think it is, yes. So, Richard, let me ask you the first formal question for this interview. Uh, what is the earliest memory you have of Star Trek? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, it, when I was in grad school at the University of Minnesota, and this would have been Oh golly! In the in the late '60s, um, uh, there was a bar uh, at 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 a place called the Five Corners uh, uh, over near where the where the theater department was there, and uh, a lot of us would stop by there for for a drink around uh, five or five o'clock or so after classes were over, and um, uh, it was a real mixed crowd. It was it was. Uh, um, uh, workers from the from the area and students and uh and what have you and um it was one it was early at that time for for bars to have TVs in them and this one had uh, a television set in it and every every night at uh between 5 and 6 there there was the classic star trek was playing on it and people would would, ru- would rush up to see the see the project uh, and to see what the show was and 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 comment about it 
Uh, I've never heard of a bar showing Star Trek before. That sounds pretty surreal today's day and age. Oh, it was very surreal. In fact, uh, uh, some athletes used to come in, and I remember one. There was one afternoon where uh, uh, Alan Page and Carl Ellers from the from the, the, the Vikings came in, and you know, had sat down and watched. It was great. So I'd like to get a little bit of background information about you, Richard, uh, and I'd like to ask where you grew up, what your parents did for a living, and what little Richard wanted to be when he grew up. Oh, gosh. Well, um, I grew up in a little town in Wisconsin called Menominee Falls. Uh, my dad was the assistant postmaster there, and my mother was uh, uh, a nurse uh, when she wasn't raising seven kids. Uh, and uh, and I... Um, uh, it was, it was great because there was, it was a, it was a, a small town. There were people, you were out on the street all the time. Everybody looked out for everybody else. And, uh, and there was like, uh, oh, I don't know, 50 or 60 kids just lived on that one block and, and, uh, all went to the same school and, and, uh, you know, had pickup games of baseball and football and whatnot. And, uh, I, I, I gosh, I don't know what I, I, you know, it changed it all the time what I wanted to be, you know, the usual, uh, you know, fireman, policeman, uh, uh, I never thought about being an actor. I guess that that's the key to it. I, I, I spent all my, my spare time doing, uh, in athletics. I was, I, I played every sport that they would let me and, uh, uh, and had a great time doing that. And, uh, and even when I went to, uh, when I went to college, I, I, I went in, as an engineering major and, uh, and very quickly found that I didn't have aptitude for that. And, uh, then I was, a uh, but I was taking a German class and my, uh, professor was the head of the department. He said, well, you are you in the, uh, uh, sophomore year abroad program? And I said, I could be, so we have to be a German major. And I said, sounds fine. So I was a German major for a year and spent a, spent a year in Austria. And then, uh, I came back and, uh, realized that that wasn't, uh, something that, that I was going to be able to do for the rest of my life and got a job, uh, uh, a, a work-study job with the psych department. And so I thought, well, this looks like an interesting thing. And, and uh, of course, it wasn't. I it ended up running rats for uh, uh, for the whole year and uh, and uh, then, then was just looking for, essentially looking for a way to get out of college. I was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stay there any longer. It was, uh, uh, I couldn't afford it. And it was, it was obviously that obviously that wasn't nothing. What I was, wasn't accomplishing anything there. So, uh, uh, a friend of mine who I'd been in Austria with was a theater major. He said, well, you know, you can take all the crudge need speech and drama in one semester. And I said, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> and you did that at uh, Notre Dame, right? Yes, that was at Notre Dame. Okay, go Fighting Irish. Yeah, absolutely. I, they got a chance this year. I don't know. I, I got my fingers crossed. <laughs> so, yeah, you went to Notre Dame. We mentioned your grad school. Uh, can you tell us, I guess, uh, an important lesson that you learned during your time in school when you're first studying acting, something that's kind of stuck with you, or uh, even better, you know, we always love hearing embarrassing stories about early days of acting, but uh, did anything you remember from your early education in, in theater? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was... I, because I was taking all those credits in in one semester, and because it was a small department, there I think, I think there were six six of us seniors uh, uh, when I graduated. Uh, you did everything, and I and I think that was the, that was the biggest uh, uh, lesson that I learned is that is that know what everybody's job is and 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 uh, and what they have to do, and then you then you can 
be supportive and and know where to go for help as well. Um, uh, I uh, during that during that semester, I I, I acted, I, I directed, I I built sets, I, I sewed costumes, um, uh, and uh, uh, stage managed, and it was it was a it was a wonder that was a wonderful experience. So. Um, when I uh, when I got out of Notre Dame, it was I, I graduated in January. Um, uh, I didn't really have I had nowhere I hadn't made any plans about going to grad school or anything at that point, and went back to my summer job, which was uh, 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 unloading and treating railroad ties. And it's 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 okay in the summer. It's it's hot and and smelly, but in the winter it's it's terrible. And so <laughs> and, and so I was looking for an indoor job and. Um, uh, and this, and I read in the paper that they were looking for um, apprentices at the Milwaukee Rep. And I thought, well, you know, here I, I just spent, you know, I, I I just graduated with this degree. Maybe I can do something with it. And uh, and ended up uh, uh, doing like three or four shows there as an assistant stage manager and a stage hand and and whatnot. And and evidently, uh, uh, it made enough of an impression that they uh, that they uh, were willing to. Uh, 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 offer me uh, tentatively a, a job as assistant stage manager the following year. Um, uh, but fortunately, <laughs> I guess fortunately for me, the, um, uh, at Notre Dame, they were, they were anxiously trying to figure out what they could do with this student that had disappeared in the middle of the year. And they, uh, they got me, uh, uh, into the University of Minnesota where I did my, I did an MFA in acting and directing. And, uh, and that was, yeah, again, that was, I was uh, my work, my work study job there was was running the scene shop. I mean, I was not running it, but I was I was I was the uh, teaching assistant that was there to you know make sure that everybody did the job and didn't get killed. And um, uh, and they uh, uh, and then I saw that I since I spent so much time in the in the scene scene shop, I decided well I'd explore this acting and directing stuff a little more. And uh, and began doing that, and t- and in the uh, two years I was there, I, I ended up doing quite a few roles, and um, and actually got to got to uh, uh, audition for the Guthrie, which was wonderful. I did a I did a show with uh, a show with their their second uh, uh, season. I mean their second um, uh, I don't know, uh, theater group uh, before I left. We did a, we did a production of uh, of Three Sisters and. Uh, and that was very exciting. And then, um, uh, and then uh, my advisor at the at the university was uh, used to work at the at the Meadowbrook Theater uh, uh, in Michigan, and he would uh, he would spend uh, six six months each year at the university and six months at at the Meadowbrook. And so he said, "Why don't you come to Michigan and uh, and you know uh, between uh, stage managing and acting, I'm sure we can find stuff for you to do there." So that uh, sort of just it just sort of uh, uh, snowball that way. And again, it was a, you know, I, I, I was essentially everything I owned was in the back, you know, packed in my car so I could go anywhere to, to, uh, to where a job was available. So how did you go from the world of theater into Hollywood and doing films and TV? The first, the first film I did was, uh, Rooster Cogburn and the lady. Uh, it was shooting in, uh, Oregon on the rogue river and I was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival doing uh, uh, a season there, which was just about to end. And uh, w- one of the guys that was at that at the Medford newspaper uh, mentioned to me that uh, 
that they were looking for for people to to be in this movie that they were shooting with uh, John Wayne and Catherine Hepburn up uh, up off the road, road on the road river, and uh, and so he gave me all the information he had, and I called and and went up there and left off a, a picture and a resume and met you know I met some of the casting people, and then I got a call, could I come up and uh, and uh, work on this work on this film, and uh, it was. Uh, uh, I was essentially a, a glorified extra and stand in for uh, Richard Jordan. And what was great, I had never had no experience at all with with uh, with film prior to that. And uh, and it was it was amazing to to again see how uh, to kind of be a you know a fly in the wall and watch how everything was done. And uh, um, and and there were you know and this was a a big budget projects so there was lots of you know there were there were lots of things to learn and lots of things to see and then um uh after that i i uh, went back mainly to doing theater but would occasionally pick up um uh, a job in in the towns where i was doing theater i did a, a a tv show called the other side of hell that we shot in anaconda montana while i was working in seattle uh i did uh, uh a, a little american international uh, picture called Joyride while I was in uh, while, I, while I was working in uh, in Seattle another time uh, uh, which was uh, which was shot in and around uh, the state of Washington and um, uh, and so I, I, I began to build a little bit of a resume but it was it was always just uh, uh, sort of a secondary job where I was working and um, but then I, I I ended up uh, getting cast in a in a, uh, a Broadway show, uh, the execution of justice and, uh, went to New York. And while I was in New York, um, I got an agent up until I'd never had, had an agent before. And they began sending me out for, uh, soap operas and movies that were shooting in New York and things like that. And, um, I was, uh, I had done, um, uh, while I was in New York, I, I, while I was in New York, I, I had done glory. And uh, so when it opened in uh, 89, I think it was in December of 89, um, uh, my agent said, you should go out to L.A. and uh, and, we'll, and our L.A. office will see about setting you up for uh, auditions not when, once, the, once the movie opens. So I did that and, um, and uh, got cast in, in this uh, Ferris Bueller series while, while, I, was out, while I was out here. And... Uh, uh, I went back to New York uh, to do a, 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 a the remod of a play that I had done before, and then um, and then uh, came back in uh, 1990 and uh, and began doing auditions for uh, whatever they had did, whatever they could get me in for. <laughs> and so and uh, yeah, so I had I had and, and the thing was when I went to went to LA the second time, second time in, in 1990, they said, okay, you've got to promise that you aren't going to do theater for five years so that because every it seems like every time we send you out for something uh you've got a, a theater show lined up or there's somebody wants you to do and then and then you're unavailable and we, we need you to be and so I, I did that uh it was not easy because that that had been what i'd been doing all my life up till then and and not knowing you know i had always kind of tried to plan ahead a little bit and not knowing uh, from day to day, essentially, what you'd be doing uh, was a little nerve-wracking, but it it worked out okay. <laughs> I would say so. 
And just yeah. take just take a quick step back here. You know, we talked about Rooster Cogburn, and we're talking here about John Wayne, Catherine Hepburn, Richard Jordan, like you said. Joyride's got Desi Arnaz Jr., Robert Carradine, Melanie Griffith, and Glory. You know, again, Matthew Broderick, Denzel, Morgan Freeman, uh, Bob Gunton, oh, yeah. favorite of my show. So, uh, you know, especially in this early time in your career, you're around a lot of very well-known, very famous A-list actors. Uh, were you at any point starstruck with anybody or, you know, in, in those films or any other movies? Have you ever been starstruck on a set? Um, oh, sure. I mean, I, I remember, uh, uh, I, I, all of, all of those people were of course, you know, way beyond me, all the, ex- sorry, except for Bob, because I actually had done theater with Bob in New York. Uh, uh, but, uh, and that was, and that was great. And, and the thing is, is that, is that all of them, it, it, it it's almost a, a cliche, but that the, the bigger they are, the nicer they are, the more willing they are to, to uh to share you know what you have you don't you don't bother them but you know you can there are are always moments where you're sitting around waiting for the next uh, scene to be set up of that and uh and uh if if you're if you're there you often include it in the conversation which is which is really helpful uh, i think the, the 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 most starstruck i i i i was probably was uh with in casino um i um I got cast in Casino, and I and I suddenly I'm on this on this set with Martin Scorsese and uh, 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 Joe Pesci and, and Robert De Niro and uh, and Sharon Stone, and um, and they're they're waiting for the light. It's a it's a 270 degrees of windows on this on this set, and the light has to be right for them to do it. And as soon as the light's right, you just have to go. And everybody's kind of, you know, uh, chatting away and just, and looking, and the, and the 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 DP is checking to see when the clouds are gonna are gonna move, and uh, uh, and suddenly it's it's go, and uh, and then you you go, and then you, you get as many takes in as you can until the light changes, and then and then you wait again, and and uh, for the you know at the be- at the first moment. You know, getting set up, getting and, and sitting on the couch there with Joe and, and watching everybody, everybody getting preparing and doing their work. It was, it was, it was, you know, very nerve wracking. But at at the same time, once we did it, uh, you know, once we did a couple of takes, it was obvious that all they were interested in was making the best possible film they could, getting the best possible, you know, uh, shots they can to, you know, to make the movie work. And uh, and I like to I like to say essentially they were they were they were putting their trousers on one leg at a time like everybody else, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 it became it made made it it made it a little bit easier that way, uh, you know. But uh, but yeah, I mean these these guys all knew their job so well and and were so so expert in doing it. It was it was great to again to be the the fly in the wall to watch how everything was done. And what a great scene, too, in Casino with Robert and Joe, De Niro oh. and Joe Pesci. Like, that's a wonderful scene you guys have. Uh, what was it like to share the screen with them? Uh, they were great. I mean, I, I, it was funny because I, I, um, I had worked with both of them before on tiny and tiny little things. I, 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 was, uh, I, I did uh, uh, a player, I think there's a player. Uh, I can't remember. It's terrible. I can't remember the title anymore. With, uh, it, where uh, uh, De Niro plays a, uh, a knife salesman. And, uh, and I, and I was the, I was the last guy that he was going to 
that he was going to uh, uh, try and sell his knives to, and he, and by now he's gone slightly off the deep end, and he's and he's shaving his leg with his with his with his knife, and uh, uh, and you know, but he was he was he was great. He was just, he was so funny and so, you know, so right there with it. Joe, I had I had spent about a month with Joe uh, on this movie called um, uh, uh, about Ouija called Public Eye. And uh, I was this cop that kept showing up at all the places where Ouija was to was taking these photos. And we shot it in Cincinnati and in Chicago. And if I say the opening scene of, 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 of the film, we shot in like six different places. And it was, it was, it was you know, and again, Joe, uh, Joe is, is very open and very, very much, you know, uh, getting, uh, trying to get everybody involved in, in, in the process. And, uh, and it was, it was wonderful working with him. So, so we're sitting on the couch and we, and we get the, you know, we eventually get the, um, the master that they want. And Joe, you know, nudges me and he says, is now look, Bobby's going to have to ask the, he, he's going to ask the, the, the script supervisor what he did in that, in the, in this, in this take. Cause, cause he, he does, he did, you know, everything is, 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 uh, uh, he, he just, he just allows, everything to, to come out when he, when he's doing it. And, and then, but as soon as she tells him what he's, he's he'll do it. He'll do exactly the same thing each time. And he, he's great at that. And that way it was wonderful to, then to, to, to look at the, at, at, at the scene through those eyes, you know, as well to see how, to see what that process was. Now, I think this is the most important question I'm going to have in this entire interview today about when did the mustache become a permanent fixture on Richard Reilly's headshot? Uh, it was it was a very strange thing that happened. Uh, uh, I I had the mustache. I'd, I'd been doing a, a play at the uh, uh, at the Yale Rep uh, called A Moon Over Miami, and I had the mustache for the character there. And that, so I still had it when I came to L.A. and uh, and when I auditioned for Ferris Bueller, they wanted the mustache. So uh, so I had it for, for the. Uh, half a year over, we shot the 13 episodes of Ferris Bueller that we that we did. We were shooting Ferris Bueller right next uh, on the on on the Paramount lot in a soundstage next to where they were shooting Star Trek: Next Generation, and so I would I would run into these people all the time, and they said, "Oh, you come over here and do a you know do an episode of of Next Generation." I said, "I'd love to." He said, "But you know, you can't have that mustache if you're doing if you're doing Next Generation." I said, "Yeah." They said, "Yeah, the." Uh, the uh, uh, Mike Westmoreland, who is who's the, uh, the makeup guy, has got total control over what your, you know, what your face face looks like. And I said it's fine. I, you know, I it comes it came on and off when I was doing theater all the time from show to show, and so uh, and so okay. So they canceled Ferris Bueller, and I got an audition a couple weeks later uh, for Next Generation, and I went in, did the audition. And after the audition, he said, "Would you be willing to shave your mustache?" And I said, "Yeah." So um, uh, I, I, uh, I I got I got cast. Uh, I did I did it. It was inner light, uh, played by Thai. Uh and um, and then uh, I, I while I was uh, while I was doing it, uh, I got I had an audition for Free Willy, and I got cast in that. So I didn't have the mustache when I was doing Free Willy. So we were gone for 13 weeks in in Mexico and uh, and uh, Oregon and uh, Seattle and up in up in the uh, San Juan Islands. And um, uh, and I came back and you know st- still didn't have the mustache and was started auditioning. 
and and where I had been fairly uh, successful in the auditions before that, nothing was coming through. So my after a couple of weeks, my my agent started calling around the, to the various casting people. He says, "Is there a problem?" They said, "No, no, we love Richard. We just don't know how to use him without his mustache." <laughs> so I grew it back, and I've had it ever since. <laughs> so I didn't know there was a connection to Star Trek with the mustache. So how about that? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Well, since you brought up Inner Light, too, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, we've got a lot of other things to discuss here. There's so much because, again, your resume is so big. I don't, I don't even know where to begin or where to end this thing. But uh, on the topic of Inner Light, uh, had you auditioned for Star Trek previously? No, that was my first audition with oh, wow. Star Trek. That's pretty rare for a lot of folks when we talk to them about their Trek appearances. Oftentimes, they'll say they've auditioned again and again and again. And it's taken years for they get the role. But you nailed it first try. That's impressive. Yeah, well, I don't I, – again, I, I think I, I, I knew – I mean, I had become acquainted with a lot of those people because we were, we were working right next, right, you know, next to each other for well, for six months. So that may that may have been part of it. But uh, yeah, it was I I was uh, I was surprised, but but you know, happy about it as well. <laughs> this episode is a very very beloved part of Next Generation. It's a lot of people's favorite of all time. Uh, when you first read the script and you first got it in your hands, what did you think of it? I I you know I loved it because it, you know it. It it offers uh, uh, Patrick that the chance to kind of live a whole life as, as somebody else, and um, and and it, it and the being part of that um, of that world was 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 very exciting because it was a it was a world that was dying and everybody was trying to figure out how they were how what you know, how they were going to find a future of, of some kind, um, and uh, it, it's a it's a beautifully written script too. I mean, it's it's just it's I, I don't know. There's there's something very special about it, and uh, you know, I, I, even as you know, an actor in it, I I, I felt that. Uh, uh, and Patrick, he he worked night literally night and day. He would we would wrap at at uh, you know eight or nine o'clock at night uh, on a shooting day, and then uh, the AD would come up to him and say, "Okay, Patrick, we'll get you out of out of the makeup and and we'll have you home." in an hour, get something to eat, because we're going to pick you up at 5.30 tomorrow morning to start all over again. And um, and he was he was, he was very excited about it, because I think, I mean, he he said for often that this was this was one of his favorite episodes, and I think part of it was his son playing his son. I think that, I think that meant, yep. meant a lot to too. And um, but it was it, it was it was very again. This is this sort of you know sitting around talking between setups. Uh, there there were a, a number of times when when you know we would be waiting for waiting for the next scene to be set up and and uh, uh, Patrick would say something about about theater and and uh, and it became apparent that both of us had had spent a lot of time in theater had done and had done you know, uh, had done and seen a lot of stuff. And so we, we ended up having some really wonderful conversations between, between takes. And that was, that was exciting. Without looking ahead to the other series, because we know we're going to discuss uh, Voyager and Enterprise in a little bit. For this first time you did Star Trek Next Generation, did you get a chance to interact or meet with any of the other stars in the show? Um, no, because I was in that, I was in that other world. Right. So Patrick, Patrick was the only one that, that was in both worlds. I got to tell you too, uh, you know, most Star Trek guests when they come on the show, like they're usually in some crazy alien makeup or they're in a Starfleet uniform. This time around, Bataille is basically wearing pajamas. That must have been like such an easy day in wardrobe. 
it was a very easy day in Waterloo, and that was a th- that was that was a thing that uh, Bob Blackman, who was who was the costume designer, I had worked with him for years at Ashland before uh, at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival before, and so that was that was nice to run into him again again there on on the Star Trek set. Do you remember uh, watching the episode back when it aired, or, or do you typically watch any of the stuff that you do back on TV or or in movies when it sh- when it airs? I do watch. I, I mean, I. I I'd like to watch what I'm what I'm doing. In those days, it was it was hard to watch because I, I had, you know, I was I was so unused to it. Um, I I didn't watch it when it aired because uh, I was I was doing something else. I, you know, and 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 I in those days I didn't have. Um, I, in fact, I still don't have uh, you know the ability to to tape it and 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 and, wa- and watch it later. But I I did see I have I've seen it uh, several times since then and then and uh, I just it was just it's it's marvelous and that and that that whole uh, you know the recorder thing at the end that that, that Patrick uh, has that was that was totally you know he wanted something there and then so, and then that became iconic. And and it, and it lives through like in, into into the, even into the movies after afterwards. Yeah, there's even an action figure that comes with that little flute, if you can believe it. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D-printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or a part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, I'm Jonathan Frakes. If you're of a certain age, you may remember me as Commander Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. And my wonderful brother Daniel died with pancreatic cancer 24 years ago. They opened him up, they diagnosed, they said, you've got six months to live. And that was it. He died four months later. And at that time, there was a 3% survival rate. Since then, we've grown to the embarrassingly high number of 10%. But a dear friend of mine and probably all of yours, Kitty Swink, is one of those 10%. She has survived pancreatic cancer for 17 going on 18 years. Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States with a five-year survival rate that's just 10%. And more than 60,000 Americans are estimated to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2021. More than 48,000 will die from the disease because symptoms are often vague and be hard to detect. That's why I'm supporting the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the leading 
patient advocacy organization committed to fighting the world's toughest cancer. PanCan is working hard to create outcomes for this devastating disease through its groundbreaking research in early detection and better treatment options. PanCan drives progress by funding life-saving research, providing personalized patient services, and creating a community of supporters and volunteers like you who will stop at nothing to create a world in which all pancreatic cancer patients will thrive. You can help support our important mission by donating today at pancan.org. Thanks for your time. We now return to Trek Untold. So, Richard, let me ask you something uh, that's pretty much a fan favorite for me, uh, one of my favorite shows on TV that you did, and that's Golden Girls. You did an episode called uh, Never Yell Fire in a Crowded Retirement Home. Uh, yes. And you're, you're pretty much in the beginning. It's a two-parter. You're in the beginning of that first episode, uh, which is ultimately, it's a two-part clip show, basically. But, uh, you know, I, I right. love Golden Girls. Uh, what do you remember about working with those ladies? They're amazing. That, I mean, the... The four of them were just absolutely incredible, and they're at, at, and totally at the top of their game. Uh, four very different personalities, and that, that's why I, I'm sure why it worked so well. But again, it was these were these were people that were so willing to to share. Uh, you know, any moment I, I was, you know, I was I was a, I was a, a guest that was, that's just brought on to as a setup essentially. <laughs> you know, the 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 police officer that that's, that's questioning. You know, uh, that's questioning them, and and they and they're you know they uh, made it so easy and so much fun to be to be part to be part of it. I mean, they're 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 great. I mean, it's 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 sad that you know that all except Betty are gone now. I guess. And that episode you also shared with uh, Stanley Camel. He was another Star Trek alumni. Yeah. Uh, did, did you have any time to chat with him in that show or any other shows? Oh yeah, I, I actually did a couple of shows with Stanley and and. Uh, and uh, it was it was all it's all it was always fun to to catch up with him. But you know what 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 had been going on be, you know between uh, uh, between the last time we'd run into each other on a set. <laughs> now there's a, a Star Trek essentially it's a Star Trek Wikipedia called Memory Alpha, and it lists like you know all the different things that folks have done with other Star Trek actors. And yours is absurdly long, of course, uh, <laughs> with all the different interactions <laughs> you've had. Um, but yeah, you, since you did mention Bob Gunton, actually he's someone who I'd, I'd love to talk to in this show one day, and I'd love to hear any stories you have about Bob. Um, well, we, the first, first time I worked with Bob, uh, was in, uh, on a play called Phaedra Britannica. And, uh, we did it, uh, up at Chautauqua in, in, uh, in New York during this, during this other summer, uh, program there. Uh, we were the theater that was in residence at the time. And then we did it again in New York at, at, at our theater, the, the CSC. And it was, Bob was always great, great to work with. And he's, he's, you know, he's such a, a, a knowledgeable uh, uh, person as well as actor, and he's got such an incredible range of experience. Uh, plus, you know, there's there's all that musical side. Uh, I remember remember the first time I saw him in a, in a play after we had worked together was uh, uh, when he did Sweeney Todd at the Circle in the oh, Square, yeah. and you know, and he's amazing. He he did. Uh, he did uh, uh, Perone in in Nevada, and you know he's he's just he's his it's and for that for that matter we never we never met uh, on the set, but but he he had a whole uh, sequence in 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 uh, Glory that uh, that I think I think most of it got cut, 
uh, but, uh, you know, uh, he was a plantation owner, I believe. But, uh, he's, you know, he's, 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 yeah, and he's a great person. I, a lot, he was like one of the last actors I saw before, uh, if things got shut down here, we were both auditioning for, for a role in a, in a, in a pilot, uh, in the beginning of my first week of March, I think. There's another show that I really love to talk about here on Trek Untold, not Star Trek related, uh, clearly is Murder, She Wrote. I love hearing about Angela Lansbury oh. stories, and you did a bunch of Murder, She Wrote, including one of the movies, uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I- I'd love to just pinpoint each and every episode, but let's just say overall memories of being on the show and uh, especially working with and being around Angela Lansbury. Well, again, she, you know, she's, she's incredible. And, uh, and uh, by the time I, I worked with her, she was also, you know, producing it, and uh, I mean, she was, she was, she had her fingers in every in every part of it, and and it was amazing to, to, to how she how she maintained it. She's and she was always high energy, and she always always right there, and you know, and 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 and, and part of the part of the process, and it was it was great, um, and, and incredibly loyal. I remember one of the episodes I did was the was. Um, was the Irish episode, and she would do, uh, she would do an Irish episode uh, every every year, uh, so that she could work again with uh, with one of her Sweeney Todd's. Um, I forget his name; it's terrible. She did she did one with Len every year, and she did one with uh, anyway, uh, and 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 he was he was marvelous as, as well. And uh, but but yeah, and and it was it was always like a, a family. I mean, it was uh, she knew. Everybody and knew all about every everybody uh, on the on the set, both uh, in front of and behind the camera. And she was so uh, she was so genuine and so and so generous all the time. Um, and so so when uh, um, I got the call about South by Southwest, I was just flabbergasted. I thought it was this is great. I'd love to do this. And um, and we, we just had we, we had a marvelous time. Uh, shooting that it was it was it was it was amazing i mean the episodes were were, were fun but uh but but doing the doing the, the the tv movie was just a blast yeah i've never heard anybody say a bad word about angela ever or ever say they had a bad experience on anything murder she wrote uh, but especially doing the movie i mean since you had already done at that point two episodes of the series uh what was different about the movie was there a different kind of a feel on the set or anything like that well, uh, it, there was uh, there was more time. It was a, there there was a bigger story to tell. There were more more locations and more people involved. It was it was it was it was shot it was shot like a you know like a a, a TV movie was in those days where you, we you had almost a month to to you know to put together. I mean, we we spent of course time on the train. Um, uh, we were we uh, went to different locations to make it look like we were going all over the southwest, <laughs> and um, and it was you know and then and then the the I always loved the the the, the denouements the uh, you know the reveals at the at the end uh, how how uh, how everybody how Angela's uh, character Fletcher Mrs Fletcher has figured everything out and uh, and is putting it together for all. For all us poor people who 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 don't know who the who the murderers are, and, and we we worked so hard to make ourselves uh, not be not look not seem villainous, and so <laughs> and so. I hopefully when when she revealed us, it was it was a surprise to the audience. <laughs> 
So we got a lot of Scoobies listening on Trek Untold 2, and uh, you were in an episode of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show, uh, and you played Merrick. You were replacing uh, yeah. Donald Sutherland. That was the character he had played in the motion picture. Um, so yeah. you know, what can you tell us about being in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? That's got to be a fun one, too. It was it was a fun one. Um, uh, and uh, uh, Josh was directing it, and so that, that made it even more exciting. And um, um, I, had, I had been watching watching it in uh um uh bits and pieces i i i couldn't you know follow every episode but i would i would catch whenever i would cuz I, I whenever i could because i really really enjoyed the st- the the storytelling and um uh and it was it was uh you know it was it, it was exciting to be able to play that Donald Sutherland character uh and uh and, you know, it, it, to sort of tell that, that little bit of the origin story, uh, uh, I think it was the end of the first first episode or first season. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, it was it was that was so uh, so amazing. And, and uh, even by the, even by then, uh, they, whenever whenever we left the lot, um, it was it, it, on location. It was very difficult because. There were so many people that were, that were uh, uh, that wanted that wanted to see what was going on, that wanted to get uh, find out find out what was happening, um, and um, and again the, the, that was he just put together such a wonderful group of people, both uh, in front of him and behind the camera, that it was uh, you know it was everything was everything was fun. It was uh, the only the tough thing was was flipping from from night to day uh in the shooting because we you know we had we had a bunch of a bunch of night scenes and then we had to do the 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 scene at the high school in in, in the day <laughs> and and that was that was uh, it, somehow somehow it's always it's always harder to 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 switch your 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 uh biological clock around and uh, you know especially in the short period of time you have when you're shooting an episode yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't have Merrick come back for more flashbacks as well throughout the series. Was there ever any discussion of that character returning? There to was, there was some, there was some discussion, but they, they, um, they had evidently had had decided that they didn't. You know, they they were strong enough with uh, with with her uh, her guide now, and and they didn't want to. Um, they, I don't think they wanted to do any more flashbacks to Merrick because because they were. They were more interested in 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 following the the uh, I think the I think the story that was that was moving moving ahead. Uh, I was I I have to tell you I was I was incredibly excited when the when the uh, um, uh, graphic novel came out and 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 saw that I that my my <laughs> that Merrick had made made the graphic novel. That's right. So you got a comic page with yourself on it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, Richard, I've got a question that's, you know, basically unrelated to anything today. I know we're kind of jumping around a lot. But that's just because you've just done so much in your prolific career. But uh, I read this great story you had uh, about an interaction with Steven Seagal. And I love hearing anything about Steven Seagal. <laughs> Do you remember that story? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, I was, um, uh, uh, there was, uh, there was a, uh, the Dalai Lama was, was uh, uh, doing a, um, Fundraiser at, at, in Bever- at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and um, my uh, my ex girlfriend was was running it. She was a uh, she had uh, her her father was a was a, uh, a mountain climber had been had been to uh, 
had climbed Everest and they had lived in Nepal for a while. And, uh, and so, and, uh, and, and so she, uh, called me up and she said, she said, look, we need someone, uh, to stand in front of the elevator going up to the, to the second floor and, and just, uh, let people in that will, um, uh, that have, uh, invitation. And, uh, and we're, we need someone that, uh, you know, that, that physically, you know, is imposing enough, but also, um, is somewhat recognizable. And, um, and would you be willing to do that? I said, sure. So, um, so I'm there and, uh, and the, and the first people to come up, uh, of course, are, uh, Harrison Ford and, and his then wife who was, who were both on the board and, um, and so, uh, you know, and it was the slowest elevator in the world. I had to stand there forever, you know, waiting for the elevator <laughs> to come and kind of, you know, and, um, and so, and so, uh, uh, I let him up and then, and then, uh, Steven Seagal came up and, and several other people. Well, evidently, um, uh, he got upstairs, uh, and, and he was, he thought he was going up to a private audience with the Dalai Lama and, um, uh, and it was not. Uh, that was not the case. It was, uh, it was all of the people that had, there were the high donors essentially, and they were, they were going to meet me. It was meet and greet. Dalai Lama was going to say hello, hi, hello. And, and they were, you know, some short conversation and the next person. And, um, and I guess he got, I guess he got quite upset about it. And, uh, uh, and then, um, and, and my ex-girlfriend is like four foot 11. And, and she just, she sort of, uh, said, no, this is the situation, you know, essentially take it or leave it. And, uh, and he said, well, then I have to change my, my dashiki. And so he had, he had to go, he had to go come back down and get out of his yellow one and put on a green one. I, said, I have no <laughs> idea, <laughs> but I thought it was, it was so funny that, 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 you know, that, that, she could tell him what to do. It was, it was really, it was pretty good. It's like one of the best Hollywood stories I've heard. It's like uh, Steven Seagal, Richard Reilly, and the Dalai Lama walk into a bar together. It's it's got to make <laughs> such a good story. Yeah, that's about as far. <laughs> that's a that's a good lead. In. Let's try that next time. <laughs> and, and speaking of Harrison too, you were also in the Fugitive with him. You're in a pretty iconic scene from that film too, when he escapes from the bus. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, do you remember uh, a lot? Of, that's, that that scene also has Danny Trejo as well. Uh, do you remember much about yeah. doing that that part of the movie? Well, yeah, we were in um, we were in North Carolina, uh, in in, in the, uh, uh, this guy owned a private railroad that went from Asheville to um, uh, to the the, the reservation uh, there, and um, and he allowed allowed them to to dig a little spur. So that that so that 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 train actually would go off uh, would would go would go off uh, uh, the the regular track into this pile of dirt that they they had done there, and we were shooting we were shooting nights and uh, uh, and um, it was cold. In fact, in fact, we lost one night because we had to, because it snowed, and um, uh, and uh, and it was very interesting because that was the shift also between between Harrison and, and Tommy Lee Jones. And, um, uh, so Harrison had, had, 
uh, one of the one of his provisos that in, in doing the film is that he didn't want to keep shifting back and forth in you know makeup and 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 things. And so he said, and so he asked the director, "Is there any way that we can shoot this, um, you know, uh, straight, you know, without without going without going back and forth?" And uh, and Andy looked at it, and Andy Davis, director, looked at it, and he says, "Yeah, yeah the, you, you never go back to another location to a location been before. So yeah, let's do it like that. We'll shoot it, we'll shoot it uh, directly." And so, and so we were we were doing that, and um, they had uh, this was this was the, the the first big stunt. That was the other thing. Andy didn't want to do anything. It didn't want to fake anything. They didn't have CGI then, but he he didn't want to, you know, do and so. And so they they actually rolled. We were in it, thank God. They actually rolled the bus down on, onto the track, but uh, it got caught in the trees. So they had to get it back up again, and 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 roll another another bus down uh, down, and it landed enough on the track they could use it. Then they um, it was, but it was a mess. It was it was all mashed mashed in, and you had to kind of crawl in. And Harrison was you know there at red at first person in you know crawling into the bus he was you know whether he was on camera or behind camera he was absolutely you know uh, there there every every moment and um and then um they would drive you they would run the train right up right up to the right up to the bus while we were doing the scene and we could we could see the light from the from the engine as as it was coming and then you know we would would do the scene and then there would there those of us that were they got to jump out jumped out and Harrison had to wait the last minute to help the the wounded uh uh, uh guard out and um and then uh when they actually hit the train again it was it was all it was all done done live uh or the train hit the bus it was all done live and they had a, a stunt guy that was that uh that that ju- actually jumped off the 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 bus just as just as the train hit and it was and they had 16 cameras going and it was it was it was amazing and um and then um and then uh, then Harrison did his his runaway and he and he really uh because he was in 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 uh leg chains he really hurt he hurt his leg then and we had the rest of the movie to shoot and he was just he just manned i mean he was amazing that he they got got through the, all that but then the next night we had tommy lee coming in and where where harrison was always there but he was he's very quiet he you know uh, tommy was involving everybody in every moment of 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 the process and that was that was kind of, it was a, a big change and that was kind of fun and uh and yeah, it was it was just it was it was an amazing experience for you to be part be part of it, and it was and it was it was it was all the uh, Andy wanted to do everything real, and that that was that was exciting as well. It sounds like a very interesting dichotomy between the two leads. You've got one who's just very outgoing, one who's a little bit more introverted. It sounds like really yeah. perfect casting. Uh, yeah, it was. It was incredible. So you were also on an episode of Boston Legal, and that show, of course, has several Star Trek alums as the main cast and many other Trek alumni throughout the series. Uh, now, I know you didn't do any scenes with him, but I'm curious if you had any interactions with William Shatner. Um, no, no, not, uh, not directly. That was, that I, we kept passing each other because, because uh, uh, he would come out of, out of shooting his scene as I was going in to do mine. And, you know, and... Uh, but we never had, you know, more than a, you know, a ca- casual nod and hi, how's it going, and, and how, how did your scene go, and that sort of stuff. 
Did you get to have any time with uh, Rene Arbergenois? Um, I'd known I'd, I'd known Rene before from uh, ACT in San Francisco, and uh, but I, again, I never I didn't get a chance to to spend any time with him. I don't think he was actually even on the set the days I was. Yeah, I, I just watched back that episode. I think he might have been on that that one briefly, but if he was, it was very very short. So uh, yeah. yeah, I wasn't too sure. So growing up, one of my favorite sitcoms was Grounded for Life. And I was a big fan yeah. of that show. I love that show. I'm sad that it's like so hard to find. I mean, luckily it's on Amazon Prime these days, but I'm sad it's oh, not good. on TV as much. But uh, uh, it's five seasons long. You are Grandpa Walt, Walt Finnerty. Uh, what do you remember about being on that show? What a fun show it must have been. It was a great, it was a really, it was a terrific show to be part of. Uh, they had pitched it to um, to Donald and to Kevin as they were going to do a, uh, they, they planned to shoot a little half hour uh, movie each each week. And um, and at the beginning, that's exactly what it was. But uh, between uh, uh, Fox and and then then it being um, uh, dropped and, and picked up by by, by the WB, um, each each time uh, it, it moved, uh, there was uh, less and less of a, a film and more and more of, of, a, of a sitcom. Originally, we we're shooting; uh, it was everything was being shot. Um, uh, single camera and then and then uh but uh between the the first pilot they shot a, a first pilot with uh, uh Stephen Root playing playing uh Walt but he was not available when they when they got when the show got picked up and so that's that's how I got a chance to do it and um and be, and uh between uh, when they shot the first pilot and when they shot the second pilot they had decided they were going to do um 3 days of single camera, and then they were going to do a, a this sort of two day uh, audience um, uh, uh, live live thing, and um, uh, and so it made for very long weeks, uh, uh, and uh, but it was it was fun to have both the, the the single camera and the and the and the audience because you could do you could do m- many more things with the single camera than you could in front in live in front of an audience. And uh, and then uh, when the WB took over, they decided to go essentially all uh, audience. We do we do a four day week for the audience and have one day where we could do some location stuff. And um, but it was it was they had really cast such a wonderful group of people, and um, and we had some great writers and and directors uh, uh, all through all through the all through the the, the five seasons. And um, uh, and, the, and the stories were fun. I mean, uh, uh, Bill and Mike, you know, were, were kind of originated it and, and came up came up with the idea. But uh, but each of the uh, each of the uh, writers had had their own um, uh, stories, uh, growing up stories that they wanted to, that they wanted to tell. Uh, and uh, that was one of my. Uh, I think I've done. I figured I'd have done like fifteen Santa Clauses. So that was one of my Santa Clauses. <laughs> And it, it was fun because it was fun and kind of crazy because because uh, Jake was uh, uh, was was kind of um, uh, right between whether he really believed in Santa Claus or didn't at that time. So we were trying to be very careful about how 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 we we presented we presented it. And then then we have the Santa Claus fight where Donald and I actually. Came Get get into a a fight with each other, and he and then there's the he the throwing the tomato and, he, and hitting Santa during the 
Santa Claus parade. There was that was a that was a fun episode to do. <laughs> yeah, and let me tell you, I had such a crush on Lindsay Bartleson back then, and I'm pretty sure I still do. Oh. Yeah, no, she Lindsay Lindsay was great. What a terrific, what a terrific actress. I mean, she, she amazing actress, and she had an incredible uh, resume. Uh, even even going going into that, and she was so funny and so so perfect for that role. Uh, yeah, she's just. It's just great. It's such a strong cast. There's a lot of really good episodes. Like just having watched some back on Amazon Prime again, I'm like, wow, I, I really miss the shows. It seemed like just it really felt like an actual family between you guys. Like it really felt like there was something real going on there, and that made for good TV. Well, yeah, I think you know, I think there there was that sense a sense of it. We we really got to be got to, you know got to know each other and got you know spending a lot of time together. Especially like I said in the first in in the first season, we were. We were there, um, and it was a mid-season show, so it was it was kind of everything was kind of messy uh, in in terms of in terms of putting it together, and so and so um, we ended up spending a lot of time, uh, you know, t- together on, uh, on the lot, and uh, and that was that was you know great fun, and uh, and and Carsey Werner was always very good about about supporting you know their their various shows and and the and the people the people in them and there were and it was you know and and it was from the you know it was from the the in terms of the the cast i mean donald was was you know trying to bring everybody in kevin is in in his own strange way it was it was definitely part of the part of the part of the process uh um, uh, Megan was just, was, was just a sweetheart. And then, and then the kids were, were great. I mean, they were incredible. They had, they, you know, we spent so much time with them. It was like, like we were their parents and grandparents. And for any listeners who are still listening to the episode and still do not recognize Richard really, well, I think it's about time we give you guys the one you know him best for because Richard is a true people person because he was yeah. in Office Space. He, he already knows where I'm going. He was in Office Space, Thomas Mikowski. Uh, wow. That's, I mean, I, I, I'm wondering what you get recognized most for. I feel like it's probably Office Space, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was very funny. I was in, um, uh, uh, during the hiatus, uh, uh, from uh, um, after the first season of, of uh, Gone for Life, I went back to New York and did a play. And when you're when you're in Manhattan, uh, uh, you, you you know you're on the street all the time, or on the subway or whatever. And and even though people are uh, sort of circumspect about about you know uh, about making any any demands upon upon you if they recognize you, you still are aware that people are that people are you know. Are, are have have seen you and 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 think they know you or whatever. So, so for a week I did a very unscientific survey, um, you know, and and I didn't approach people, but I would listen very carefully uh, to what they said, and uh, and and it was about I think it was about seventy percent was grounded for life, and then um, there was twenty uh, percent uh, uh, was um, uh, whatever was on. Uh, late night cable, uh, that, you know, that, that week. And, uh, and then there, then another 10% were people that were, uh, uh, thought that I was, uh, had, had been their teacher in, 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 uh, you know, sixth grade or, or, or was, uh, I worked at a, at a, at a, um, a grocery store or something that they, they went too often. Uh, and, but it was, yeah, Grounder for Life has always been the, and even now, a lot, a lot of times people are still, still recognize me from Grounder for Life. <laughs> As for 20, 20 years now, 21 years. Yeah. It's, I was surprised to see how long ago it was and I still remember it, <laughs> but it's such a yeah. good show. 
Um, but yeah, I want to ask a little bit more about Office Space, in particular working with Mike Judge, because I love a lot of his animated shows in particular. Uh, but what's it like being directed by him live action? Oh, Mike was great. He, he, he was so funny. He, when he, he spent a long time casting it. Uh, I think I was in like three, three or four times. Uh, the first time I went in, I read both for the psychiatrist and for Tom Smarkowski, and then the, the, the following times it was just Tom. And, um, you know, and he would, he would have new things that he would want to try out, uh, each, uh, succeeding audition. And he, and, and then when he finally had put the cast together that he wanted, uh, he got in touch with everybody. He said, we're going to go to, to Austin. It's my hometown. Uh, we're not going to have people, you know, uh, looking down, looking over our shoulders and seeing what we do, but we're going to work hard. And, uh, and, uh, the, you know, when, when we have time, time off, I'll take you to the bars where my band used to play. I'll take you to some of the best places to eat in Austin. We're going to have a great time, man. We did. He couldn't have been, you know, a more amazing host. Um, and then, um, in, in terms of directing, he was, he was, he was, he was great because, uh, you know, he, he would, he would, uh, he was very open in term in terms of, uh, you know, allowing people to, to explore things. Uh, but I remember when, when the first, I, I was the first guy doing the, the two Bob scene. And, um, and so I came in and we, and we rehearsed the Bob scene as it was written. And then, uh, uh, and then the, the, the these, uh, these two guys are, were improvisers from way back. So they said, well, can we, you know, can we try some things? And, and, and Mike said, well, sure, go ahead. And so for about half an hour, they were, they were just riffing on all sorts of stuff. And it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> it was all I could do to keep from, keep from laughing. And then, and then, uh, Mike said, okay, that's great. He says, now let's do it like we wrote it. <laughs> and that's, you know, we ended up doing, you know, doing what was written, but, but that was the, 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 the kind of freedom that way that had evolved during, during the course of, of, of exploring it that way really, I think added, added to, to the scene. Um, and, uh, you know, and it was, it was like that all, all the way through. He was, he, he, he was, you know, I mean, again, the, um, the opening sequence where, well, it's, it's not the opening sequence. The opening sequence is the, is, is the cars, which is hilarious itself. But the uh, the sequence where 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 we're uh, we're going uh, through the hedge and up and down the the uh, uh, that little gully, and then then to Inatech, and uh, we shot that in, in five different places, and including. Um, uh, when, when, uh, Ajay comes across, comes across the parking lot, we shot that in Dallas. We spent, we spent one day in Dallas because Mike had a, there was a, an, an overpass, an unfinished overpass that he wanted to have in the background of a shot. And so we figured out what other things he could shoot there. And that was, that was one of them. So the, Ajay comes across the parking lot in, in Dallas and then, then we're walking down, uh, uh, a sidewalk uh, uh, next to a hedge somewhere in Austin. Then we're in a different place, so we can go through the hedge, and then we're in a different place doing the up and down, and then finally we get we get to Endotech, and it, that and it, it's always it was it's always so much fun to to kind of to kind of because um, uh, because it would be up to Mike to kind of uh, to kind of figure out you know how how this was all going to fit together. And and the other thing which was great is that he did his um, uh, his flare stuff right away on the second day when he, he did his he did his cameo. So we all had a sense of just how far he wanted to go with things. I mean, he was he was very good at that at that because we could see we could see what what he um, uh, what he was trying what he was trying to get with 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 uh, with the film. 
uh, and 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 with the characters, and was really it was really helpful to be, to be able to watch him do that. Uh, you know, it, it was it's a he, he's he's amazing. It's, it's so many, it's such an incredible talent, uh, and, and and he's a great guy. He could couldn't be a nicer guy. It's it's critical for any set that you're on that you know what the director wants, that the director is clear and and concise with what he's trying to get out of his team. Uh, and he, and it sounds like Mike Judge was a really great example of that of a really good director. Uh, yeah, have you had yeah. to work with any other directors that were a little bit more difficult? And you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually I ask this question a little bit later on. But uh, what do you think would would have been your best day on a set, and maybe your worst day on a set? Um. That's a good question. I, I had never thought of that. Uh, it, 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 I'll, I'll go back a bit and ask, answer a little bit about, about directors, because directors uh, have a whole gamut in which, in which you know, in which they, uh, which they work. Some of them are totally technical, and and they they leave you leave you completely alone. They figure if they've cast you, that's what you know, that's what they want, and um, and sometimes it's a little disconcerting because. Because you may not be sure why why they cast you, uh, and uh, but but they you know they're they're just looking at the at the technical side of it, and uh, and you know and that and that and it comes out great in the end. In the end, you know any director that continues to work comes out with a with a final project that's great. However, they get to it, and uh, and then there's there's some there's some directors that are very much uh, like working with the with the actors and, and, you know, and, and finding and discovering things in the, in the, in a rehearsal process. But uh, again, that's a, a time is, is, is such of the, so much of the essence in, in shooting anything, anything like this. It's very hard to have, to have a rehearsal process. I think uh, uh, I'll go ahead. And I think one of the best days on, or one of the best experiences on the set was uh, in of mice and men. Because um, uh, Gary and John had done the play and, and knew it backward and forward. Gary had worked with the Horton Foot on doing the, the adaptation, and um, and then they had uh, put together quite a, an incredible cast of of actors to play it. And they had a very strong point of view. It was it, that it was that um, it was so uh, to show how um, uh, st- uh, strange it is for these two guys to have stuck together for so long, uh, whereas almost everybody else is, is, is a solo act, essentially, you know, all, all, all of these, all of these workers, um, they have their own backstory and they tried to, they tried to add, you know, they, they little bits and pieces. So you understood why they were a little bit, why they were, what they were like. And, um, but uh, but uh, George and Lenny are uh, are this are this pair that hang together, and that's very unusual. And um, so we had uh, we had a week of rehearsal. They had they had worked into the thirteen week uh, shoot uh, where where we rehearsed the whole uh, screenplay as if it were a play, and we could have done it by the end of that week essentially as a play. Everybody was so you know, much into it. So that when we went to the different locations to shoot it, it was, you know, it was, it was a very, it was a very comfortable feel, you know, that we knew, we knew exactly what we, you know, who everybody was and, and why they were there and, and what, you know, what the situation was. And, uh, and I, I thought it turned out to be, you know, quite an incredible, quite an incredible film and it was a wonderful experience shooting it. 
Do you remember any really, really horrible, no good, terrible days on sets? Most of them have to do with just how uncomfortable mm. it, it was, whether it was, you know, whether it was rainy. I remember there was, there was, uh, uh, it, it rained, uh, all through the day, uh, and into the night when we were shoot, shooting, when I was shooting my one scene in, in Lethal Oven 4. And it was, it was, uh, and, you know, it was, we couldn't, there was so much, um, sort of extraneous thing and stuff involved. There were 150 extras. There were, there were, uh, 50 emergency vehicles. There were two cigar boats. There was a helicopter. There was, uh, you know, and, uh, and the, there, it, it was just, and it was just cold and wet and, and, um, and then there was this little forehand scene that was going on in front of all this. So they would say, um, uh, you know, background action and then, and then action. And you knew that if, if you, if you messed up that, uh, that it would take like 20 minutes to half an hour to reset. <laughs> so there was, there was, there was a lot of tension, was, but, but, uh, Dick Donner made it just so comfortable and everybody was you know, on top of the game and, and, and we're nice people as well. I mean, uh, 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 Mel and Danny and, 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 and Chris Rock. And it was, it was just, it was, it was just terrific being there, but it was cold and miserable and wet. Another, uh, Iron Will was another one. There was, it was, um, uh, there was a, I think a, it was a funeral scene and it was absolutely freezing cold. Uh, uh plus we were in these, uh, period costumes, uh, and, uh, and you, you kept slipping on, on the, on the snow because, because there were, there weren't any, uh, any treads on, you know, on, you, it was these leather, uh, salt shoes. <laughs> and, you know, that was the first day of shooting, uh, on that actually, it was minus forty degrees, and then oh. the um, and and the uh, the uh, um, camera froze, and so, so there's like they they needed like a four hours to to get things set up again before they could before they could continue shooting. Oh wow! So we've gone this far without talking about your other two Star Trek appearances. So I think we better jump into that. Uh, let's start with uh, Star Trek Voyager. You were in season six, and you are Seamus from Fairhaven and Spirit Folk, which is again much like the Inner Light, a very different type of Star Trek set. So, what did you think about being Seamus and this Irish world of Fairhaven? Uh, I, I love the world, and and we had such a good time there. I mean, you know, whether it was uh, you know uh, having having a cow in the church, or you know, or running around this little village that they had created for us, um, and and everybody was it was just it was delightful. And they had uh, when when um, uh, we came in to to, t- to talk about doing it. Uh, they, they were, the sense was that, um, that, uh, they wanted Janeway to have a love interest, even if it was a holodeck love interest. And so they brought this wonderful Irish actor Fenton to come and, 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 and play that character. And he was, he was marvelous. And, um, and so there, they, there was some discussion about, you know, coming, going, coming back to that holodeck, you know, as in the following season, because this, these last two, uh, these two episodes were shot toward the end of, 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 uh, I can't remember what season that was, but, um, and, and so that was exciting as well to think that we'd be able to come back there. Um, uh, Ian Abercrombie and I were the, were kind of the two, uh, you know, goofy, uh, uh, Irishmen that, 
that, but we got to play with everybody. I mean, uh, you know, I got to, I got to show seven and nine how to, how to, how to shoot darts in a, in a, in a, <laughs> uh, uh, in a pub and, you know, and, uh, uh, the doctor and, you know, there was, it was, it was wonderful to be, to be part of that, uh, to kind of go to, as as they came into into our world and and to and to kind of you know involve them in 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 our lives, but then you know, over the summer they decided that they were going to go much more serious toward the end of the uh, toward the end uh, end of their run and and uh, and so that holodeck disappeared unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I love that you mentioned uh, working with Ian Abercrombie because you did uh, you did Public Eye with him as well, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. You guys just have great rapport on screen. I just like when you, when you guys show up together uh, in Spirit Folk. It's just like so much fun watching you guys just play with each other. <laughs> we had we had such a good time. I can't you know I can't begin to tell you what it what blast it was <laughs> being on being on that on that uh, in that uh, life in that world. Yeah. <laughs> now, how close together were these two episodes filmed? Because on on TV, I think they aired about six weeks apart. Were these basically filmed like back to back? No, it was, uh, I think it was about a month between when we shot him, yeah. And so you spent a lot of time, too, with Robert Duncan McNeil as Tom Paris. Uh, typically, you're asking him for shillings. Uh, how would you like yeah. working with him? <laughs> he was great. That was that was so much fun. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, always, you know. Looking for a looking for a looking for a little cash. That's you know that was the Irish uh, cliche that that we were, we, we 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 couldn't. We I don't think we could have uh, done any more cliche Irishmen than we did. Now I know with Star Trek shows typically there are no rehearsals, and in particular the two Fairhaven episodes, uh, there is I feel like some more complicated shots, especially when you've got so many of those like large group shots. Uh, and I'm thinking in fact of the scene where Tom Harris has the car. Or just other shots throughout the town where there's a lot going on. All the characters are walking around Fairhaven. Um, so, do you recall anything about just basically having to do those kinds of shots and, and essentially the lack of rehearsals for more? I feel like more complicated types of shots. Um, it, they had a, a great uh, uh, AD group that, that was kind of, that really, you know, cued us and you know. Uh, took us through what the action was going to be, showed us where the camera was going to go so that, you know, so that when they shot it, we knew, you know, we knew where we had to be. And, uh, and then it was just, it was up to us to, to, to make it work. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I, I, in a a way, you know, the car was, was, was less of less difficult than the, than the cow because the cow didn't (laughs) want to play at all. (laughs) Of course. That cow will never work in this town again. I'm afraid not, but it was a, it was a good cow. <laughs> Did you get a chance to interact with any of the main cast offset? Like I imagine someone like Kate Mulgrew, you you would get along great with her. Well, as a matter of fact, I I knew her quite well, and we, we and we talked uh, quite a bit during the course of shooting that uh, uh, the, 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 that ep- those episodes. Uh, we uh, we had worked together up in Seattle uh, doing theater, and uh, and so and so it was it was really nice to kind of catch up with her because. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, and, you know, her story going in, going into Voyager is just amazing. And, but I, I, I was not at all surprised that she was, uh, that, 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 that she was able to, to kind of pick it up and, and, and move on with this. It was, you know, it was so little, with so little prep time. Now we have to talk about your Star Trek Enterprise appearance as well, but I think before we talk about that, there is one other sort of Star Trek reference related to Enterprise, and that's uh, you did two episodes of Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula too, yeah, right? With Scott, right? Yeah, those were some of the first first jobs I did in in, in Los Angeles, 
Yeah, and so that was that was fun. It was it was funny because I, I got to um, uh, I, I came out here. I'd never really never spent any time in Los Angeles at all, and uh, and so I came out uh, right after Glory and was doing the audition stuff and uh, got cast in a Ferris Bueller. And then I got a call from um, from the the head of the Los Angeles agency saying, um, I, I, I just wanted congratulations on the Ferris Bueller and. Uh, um, I'll, you know, I'll be here if you need anything, but I'm furloughing the office because only you and Scott got, uh, got pilots. And so for the summer, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just manning, manning the phones myself. There's not going to be any of the regular, uh, 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 agents, uh, available. And then we'll see how things, you know, uh, turn out later on, later on. in when the, when the, when they start shooting the episodes. So, um, so I, I, I had met Scott at, at when I first came out to LA at the agency, and uh, and so it was interesting that that his Quantum Leap and, and our my Ferris were the only shows that the agency had been, had gotten that pilot season. Um, and it was, but it would I had you know I had run into him again in New York at uh, when he was doing theater out there uh, at various places, and so 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 I kind of I kind of uh, knew him, and then uh, doing the. Uh, the episodes of Quantum Leap was a, was, was a blast. Uh, uh, we just had we had I had so much fun on both of them because I mean I loved the the, the premise of it and I and and um, and I, and I, I loved working on them and then and so when I ran into him again on Enterprise, uh, it was like we had just worked together even though it had been probably twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was Enterprise was, was great and, and John Billingsley. Who played uh, Flocks in that? It was an old friend from Seattle as well, so that was so that was nice to 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 kind of get a chance to to do some some stuff with him as well. Had you performed on stage with with uh, I was going to call him Flocks with uh, <laughs> with John before as well? Uh, no, actually we hadn't. So surprisingly enough, we had we had uh, we had both been there at the same time and working at different theaters, and so I saw his work and and. And I imagine you saw mine, but we'd never we never had done any any stage work together. And the episode of Enterprise we're talking about, by the way, it's Cold Station Twelve and part of the Augments, both from season four. And you're playing Doctor yeah. Lucas, and uh, so you know I, I feel like your other two appearances in the Star Trek franchise, you got to dodge a lot of the techno babble this time around. You had a little bit to deal with. Oh yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's always. Uh, a frightening aspect of it. I mean, it, uh, it, 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 like like doing a doctor in ER or something. I mean, <laughs> it, the, you, even if you knew, you know, even if you if you in your uh, have figured out exactly what everything means, um, it's just hard to uh, to flow trippingly off the tongue, as they say. Um, but yeah, it was it, that was that was exciting, and you know, and. and and being a hostage, and 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 uh, and and being tortured, and and uh, uh, and and yet having having been Flox's uh, mentor, which which was which was fun as well. It was it was that was a both of those episodes were great, and and uh, and and working uh, uh, with with you know the the whole augment the story is such a great story as well. Uh, that, that was the that was what I loved about Enterprise was was you, you getting the kind of stepping back and 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 seeing how uh you know what the what these uh what these various important stories in in the in the franchise had been like uh, how they had how how they had developed early on yeah 
I, I just like that you said it was exciting being tortured. I'm, I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got to work a lot this episode with Brent Spiner too, which uh, you know he's playing there. Yeah. Uh, how'd you like playing he, off he was, of Brent? He was wonderful. Yeah, I I I'd met I'd met him of course uh, when, when I did uh, the uh, Inner Light. Although we hadn't we hadn't worked together, we had often be in the in the in the makeup trailer at the same time because he, he has such he has extensive makeup to get you know to, as data and um uh and uh and you know he he's he's he would be singing show tunes and uh and, you know it, and and telling stories it was he's he's just he's great to be on set with he really is and even when he's doing uh, you know an evil genius like like in the augments it's it, it, there's still that glint in his eye you spend most of this episode essentially being beat up and covered in bruises and blood. Uh, it's it's pretty much the most prosthetics you've worn in all your Star Trek appearances. Was this the most prosthetics you'd worn in general through your career? Um, no, I'm trying to think. I, I, I have. I mean, I have had. They actually had put um, so much uh, blood and stuff on me in uh, uh, in in in. Uh, um, a fugitive that they had they that when they when they saw the when they when they saw it they had to take some of it off uh <laughs> but that but that was you know that was just blood stuff i'm trying to think if i had if i've worn worn prosthetics i've i've worn beards lots of beards and uh uh and wigs and things but i don't think i don't think i ever uh i i've had much in the way of prosthetic i don't know why i guess they they decide that that uh you know they 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 don't want to hide the, the, my good looks or something. I, I haven't figured that <laughs> out yet. <laughs> now, especially talking about this episode of Enterprise, did any of that makeup, especially because you are wearing some you know, some little cuts and things like that, was any of that distracting for you? Did it kind of get in the way of your performance, or was it just not a big deal? No, uh, you uh, once they finish, you know, once they finish doing the makeup for you, uh, you take a good look at yourself in the mirror, and, and and so you know what you look like, and and what. And, and how you should, you know, and how you should play that, and then also you, you know where you you can't touch because <laughs> because you don't want to ruin what what they've done, right? Uh, uh, but but then you know, but then yes, you, you don't you other than you know knowing oh my god I I I got beat up here pretty bad so I'll have to just kind of make sure that I you know that that that's that that, that I I. Uh, I that that I that I have that 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 hurt comes through somehow. So in the Star Trek franchise, you've played three very different roles, three different shows entirely. Uh, which would you say is the maybe character or the episode? If and if they're different, you know that's fine too. Uh, character episode that you are most proud of? Oh golly! Well, I th- I mean I, I I do think that that Bataille is is just such a, a wonderful, uh, warm character and. And he had he had to be because because that that is is sort of uh, uh, you know Patrick's uh, icon in a way he names his son Bataille he you know Bataille comes back you know his his spirit comes back toward the end when when he's 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 getting ready to send off the uh, the uh, um, message to you know to the world about the, about the end of uh, this, this this civilization and uh, and that you know that was. I really, I really enjoyed being part of that story. Um, I had, I had a great, such a great time in 
in uh, in, the, in the Irish holodeck. You know, it's hard not to include that. I mean, <laughs> I, I look forward to every, every every day coming coming to work and and seeing, and, you know, and and being being part of that. And you know, and there's again being being going back to the origin story and in in uh, in enterprise. It's really it's really exciting. It's to, you know to, to bring it up. I mean they. They're they're all like you say so so different. That was that was nice too. I mean, I, not so we weren't just playing the same character, even type of character from one to the other. You know, you've been in this industry for quite some time. You've worked with so many amazing people, been in so many different and amazing shows and films. I mean, if I read them all on air right now, I, I'm pretty sure that COVID's going to be extinct by then. Yeah, uh, I but, hope so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, of all the people you've worked with, actors, directors, anybody else on stage or off theater, film, whatever, uh, who has left the biggest impression on you and, and perhaps given you something you've always held on to with, with your, either your career or your personal life? Just something that's always someone who, who touched you in a way that's been very important to Richard Reilly. Um. You know, it, 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 the nice thing about about doing this business is that in, in the end, it's a it's a sort of a small family, and there are people that you end up working with over and over again. Uh, not necessarily by by choice, but when it is by when when it is someone, then then that becomes even even more uh, even better. There's a there's an actor, um, Michael Ironside. Who uh, I met doing Free Willy, and uh, and we were we were sort of the villains in Free Willy, and uh, and because of that we we uh, I was his, I was his henchman, so I did the dirty work, and he he sort of uh, he plotted uh, the you know the what was going to go on, and we spent a you know a great deal of time together uh, on location for first uh, I think we were six weeks in Mexico City, and then we were. Uh, uh, two weeks in Seattle and, uh, and another four or five weeks in, 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 uh, Anacortes, uh, uh, Oregon. And, um, and we, you know, and it was, it was, it was great. We got to know each other. We, we got, there was a great rapport set up. And, um, and then he would, he would keep in touch with me. And, and so, and so he would say, I'm, I'm doing, um, I'm doing this film in, in Canada. Uh, would you be, you know, uh, tell your agent to contact so and so, and and so through the course of the uh, of the years, we've done we've ended up doing I don't know uh, six or eight films together, and uh, wow. and they, they've all been wonderful experiences, and and it's been on you know since Free Willy, which was you know which we were not he, he wasn't responsible for. He's been mainly responsible for for. For for uh, for getting me in, into those films, and that's very exciting. Um, uh, Danny Trejo, I've worked with on, on probably uh, six or eight films, and, and it's, it's it's always a joy to, to come on the set and and, and see him. Um, and also uh, um, uh, Brian Cox, we did we did this little film called Red, and um, and realized while we were doing it that this was like the fifth or sixth film we'd been in together. <laughs> and you know that's 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 really I I really like that like that part of it an awful lot, uh, you know and and it, and it makes it makes the the um, uh, it, it, it makes makes the work easier because you already have that 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 sort of rapport. I mean even even Casino I got into Casino because of Joe. I, wow. I had, we had just we had just finished doing uh, 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 Public Eye and. Uh, and they needed they needed somebody at the last minute for Banker Clark, and uh, and he put in a good word for me. 
Now, as we wrap up this interview, I can't let you out of here today without discussing just one last role that's a personal favorite of mine, and that's from The Legend of Korra. And oh. you, you voiced Boomy, who's Aang's oldest son. I didn't know you voiced Boomy until I was looking on your resume, and all of a sudden, Avatar pops up, and I just freak out. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'd love to hear if you have any memories of that. Like, did, did you get to record with the other cast members of the show, or were you kind of solo in a, in a voice booth on your own? No, that was, was very exciting. I had done, I had done not a lot of, of voice stuff, but everything I had done before, you were by yourself. I mean, I remember uh, doing uh, uh, Home on the Range, the, the, the Disney uh, film, and... Um, and coming in and uh, for about four four hours one one day and laying down all all the lines all all the tracks for the sheriff and uh, and so when I when I finished you know I said so when's this coming out they said oh about five years and you'll be back in about every six months to do <laughs> something and sure enough you know and I remember like the third time I came in uh, there was this uh, there was this guy. Um, uh, they tape it all. At least Disney does now. Uh, videotape it so that they they can use your facial facial features. Um, but there was this guy watching, and and after we finished uh, doing the taping session, uh, they brought him in into the into the booth, and they said, "This is the person who is who is going to be your uh, he's he's your artist. He's he's creating your character, and he wanted to he wanted to to, to watch you." Um, uh, shoot this. So up until then, all my experience had been, you know, solo stuff. For Legend of Korra, they tried as much as possible to get as many of the cast as possible into the into the booth. Uh, now uh, you couldn't look at the person that you were that that <laughs> that you were working working with because you had to be always be facing your your mic all the time. But just just having their presence there meant a whole, you know, it was, it was a whole different thing. And, and plus, you know, the, the, uh, uh, sort of the rhythm of, of, of doing a scene with, with several people. So I got, uh, I, I got to read with just about everybody, uh, in the, in the cast at one point or another. And then unfortunately there were, you know, people were off doing other things. And so they'd be taping, they would have to tape, you know, and, and so some, some days there were just a few of us and some days there was a whole crowd, but it was great. It was a, a real good, good bunch of people. Yeah. And it sounds really, really exciting. And I'm, I'm happy you got to do a lot of scenes with JK Simmons too. Like I, I wish JK had done Star Trek so I can have an excuse to interview him. Uh, uh. But sadly he hasn't yet, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if you if you remember um, this, the last season of Legend of Korra that came out the same year that JK won the Academy Award for Whiplash. Yeah, absolutely. And JK was funny. I, I will tell you this, this, this story, uh, uh, when the first, the first time that, that we had, you know, that we were doing a scene together in, in, in Cora, um, I, you know, I, and I, I said, I said, uh, you know, JK, I gotta tell you, you know, I, I, I have, you know, I, I really have loved watching your work over the years, blah, blah, blah. He says, you don't remember, do you? So what do you mean? He said, we met in Seattle. I said, really? He says, yeah, I, I had just come to Seattle and you were doing this, this play called Through the Leaves. And, um, and, uh, I so saw I, at the empty space. And so I was, I was there to, to see, to see the show and, and, you know, to get to know some of the actors in, in town. And, um, you had this, uh, this scene, uh, about halfway through where, uh, where you're taking a bath on stage and then you stand up and, and gave me a full shot. He said, he said, it's seared in my brain. I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> He said, he said, no, he said, he said, but, but yeah, and we, we worked in, again, different theaters in Seattle 
uh, for about a year, and then you left. And uh, but he he said he said uh, yeah. So we know each other, sort of. <laughs> I said okay. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. So, Richard, you've got a bunch of things planned for 2021 here. So, and I'm sure by now some of these things are going to be already available. So, what is coming out this year for you? Well, okay. Uh, the uh, there there's a, there's a couple of films that are sort of uh, working their way. They're on different platforms, but but and you can kind of find them. But hopefully, they'll have a, a larger distribution uh, this year. Uh, one is Limbo, uh, which is a which is a really interesting film. It's about a, 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 a trial for, for somebody's soul. And, uh, and I, I play the, um, uh, the, the court, uh, reporter. And, uh, and that was, that was, re- that was really fun. We had a great, great time doing that. And there's some amazing people in that. Then You've got some devil uh, horns in that too, don't you? I had wear devil horns. That is, I do. Yeah. That was, a, yeah, that was actually probably the most prosthetic I've had on. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's a, there's a movie called Faith Based, uh, which is uh, which was shot by uh, the people I did Fear Inc. with, and um, and it's about two um, uh, two slackers who decide they're going to make some money by by shooting a, a faith based movie, and uh, and you know of course they run into all sorts of problems. Again, it's it's an ama- amazing cast, and and uh, and I think it's a very funny film. I uh, it had it had one screening at the at the um, uh, uh, Santa Barbara Film Festival, which I wasn't able to see, so I still haven't seen it yet. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And then there's um, uh, the other films that are coming out. There's a, there's one called uh, Destination Marfa, which uh, I think they just got distribution on, and that's with uh, Tony Todd and uh, Stelio Savante, and um, and it's about um, uh, this real town in uh, uh, in southwest uh, Texas. That is, this is it's sort of a fake town. They uh, they've created the, they've created this uh, 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 I don't know uh, uh, location and, it, and it's got it's got a, a, a uh, and it's where they originally shot uh, Giant. So there's a lot a lot of uh, 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 James Dean uh, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor stuff uh, uh, around there too. Uh, but it's about these four kids that are on a on a road trip, and they find themselves in Marfa, and uh, only to discover that it's it's not everything that they thought it they thought it was, or, or that it's more than what they thought it was. And then uh, Moon Manor, which is uh, um, about a about a, a guy who's uh, who's got Alzheimer's, and he's uh, he wants to have his funeral while he still remembers everything. And his brother is a preacher. Uh, I play the the brother, and who's trying to to stop him because he he's afraid that once the funeral is over, he's going to commit suicide. And then there's one called Fuzzy Head, about a about a uh, I play a sheriff in that, and it's about a girl who um, who may or may not have been involved in a murder, but she can't remember anything. And that's the Fuzzy Head part. And uh, you know they were. There, there were stuff, all stuff that uh, was done in, uh, in, in 2019 and very early in 2020, and uh, and hopefully they'll be able to come out in 2021. Yeah, sounds like a lot of very, very interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to checking out some of those things, especially Destination Marfa, because you got Tony Todd right there, another Tony Trek Todd, alumni. Absolutely, 
Yeah. Yeah, sounds like some great stuff. So looking forward to seeing those things. So you've been in this career for decades now, uh, and you've been, like we said, throughout the show again and again, over 400 different productions, not counting theater work as well. Uh, what do you think is going to be the legacy of Richard Really? Oh, golly. Uh, probably, you know, a, a, a good journeyman character actor that uh, that uh, you can plug in, you know, anywhere and 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 get a and get a a, a good substantial performance you know uh, whether it's uh, it's somebody who's scary or or nice or um you know is just a, or is a um, or is introducing people in, into a new world um yeah i mean i, I you know i just uh, I, I like the idea that uh, that i'm somebody that that can keep working because people trust me, you know, with, with their, with their, with their, uh, material. All right. So Richard, last question for this interview. What is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? I think the best part of being part of best thing about being part of the Star Trek universe is that, uh, you belong to this incredible family and, uh, you, you can recognize, so many people that you've worked with over the years and um and you have that uh, in co- that commonality that 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 thing that you that that has been so important uh uh for your life and 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 for your for your career and um and then uh, as, as well people do recognize you um from Star Trek it's on all the time you, you in fact it has uh, they has has their own network essentially. That's uh, where you can where you can watch all the episodes, and that's exciting too. It's a great thing to to turn on at you know at at any point and and uh, and get involved in in whatever the story is. All right, excellent. So, Richard, thank you so much today for chatting with us, giving us all your time. And you know, when we talk about character actors, we're talking about the real working backbone of Hollywood, of the backbone of this industry. And if you look up character actor in the dictionary, we're going to see your photo next to it because you've had, you've left us with quite a resume, quite a legacy. And uh, you know, without folks like yourself, you know, th- those those stars aren't going to have anybody to help pick them up. I mean, if someone like Richard really is responsible for making those folks look good. So. Uh, you know, you've done some amazing performances and I look forward to seeing a lot more of your work in 2020, 2021, 2040, 2080. Hey, let's go into the next millennium. I'll write it too. So I want, I want more, Absolutely. more Richard really. And, uh, everybody out there, go ahead, watch Grounded for Life on Amazon Prime. Let's get Richard some uh, royalty checks from Grounded for Life, please. Let's make it happen. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It's been wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. Have a great day. Live long and prosper. Yes, sir. You too. And that was our chat with Richard Reilly, an excellent storyteller and a man who loves what he does. It's crazy to think how far just saying yes to things has served his career, and it's a testament to the fact that being an actor doesn't just mean being the lead all the time. It means being a team player and making the most of everything that comes your way. I'm sure that one day a new listener who's going to check out this show a few years after it was initially released will go and take a look at Richard's IMDb page, and, well, they shouldn't be surprised if the number of his appearances that he's had has gone over 500. And I certainly look forward to seeing him pop up again in more things the next time I turn on my TV. The TNG episode Inner Light went through many changes before it landed on TV sets on June 1st, 1992. The story was conceptualized by Michael Piller, who wanted Picard to play out a life that wasn't his, but no effective story could be found to make that idea work. It wasn't until Morgan Gendel came along with the idea of having a probe that would beam a sort of alternate life into the character's head that things began to really come together, but even then... The original episode was more of an anti-war story, 
with roots in true tales from Holocaust survivors. As that initial story took shape, it was more about a group of Nazi-like militants who created an advanced society off the backs of a group of people that they deemed inferior. But as time went on, the story focused more on Picard. And there was even a brief discussion of having Riker be a part of the alternate life too, but that was ultimately nixed to keep it centralized on the captain. And if you're wondering why the episode was titled Inner Light, well, it turns out that it's an in-joke from Morgan, who said that he wanted all of his TNG episodes to be the title of obscure Beatles songs. The only other episode to have this distinction would be Starship Mine, which was originally intended to be titled Revolution. So that wraps up this week's episode of Trek Untold. Thank you so much for checking it out this week. Please make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Trek Untold. That's one word, no spaces, at Trek Untold. It's the best way to get updates on guests, check out all the memes and other things that we're posting, and interact with myself and other Star Trek fans. If you'd like to support this podcast, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash trekuntold and become a subscriber to the show. Or check out teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold to check out some of our merchandise. If you've been enjoying Trek Untold, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday. Leaving ratings, reviews, and comments are things that all help this podcast grow, and they'll cost you nothing but a few seconds of your time. Doing things like that, or even telling your friends or other Star Trek fans about the stuff you've heard on the show and making sure they know about us are huge helps to keeping Trek Untold growing. Thank you once again to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. Go ahead and check them out at triple-fictionproductions.net. If you'd like to send us some feedback about this episode, suggest a guest, or ask to be booked on the show, go ahead and send me an email at trekuntold at gmail.com. And of course, thanks to listeners like you for choosing Trek Untold and making it your weekly Star Trek podcast. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.